three, two, one. From down in the dirty bird. Oh my goodness gracious. The only mustard buzzard podcast on the planet. This is Buzzardry. Here are your hosts, Ben Milam and Patrick McGee. And we are back. It is Tuesday night. Moved up the recording a day, November 23rd at the time of the recording of this episode. This is Buzzardry. My name is Ben Milam. I'm here with my partner, Patrick McGee. Pat, how you doing? Doing good. Glad to be on after a win. Yeah, man. Feels good. We uh, we were actually, I tweeted this out, we were planning on kind of taking the week off for Thanksgiving, but uh yeah, I don't know. Feels like uh, feels like we needed uh, needed to have an episode this week because uh, as usual, we have plenty to talk about, but even more to talk about now. Got to got to dig into that LaTeX game a little bit, which was uh man, just so fun and so hilarious. We'll get right into it. Um yeah, final score 35-19. You finally get the monkey off your back. You get an FBS win. Will Hall's first as uh as the head coach at Southern Miss and uh it, it, yeah, it was just it was what we thought it was. It was pure chaos, and uh, but controlled chaos on the, on the side of Southern Miss. And I, one thing I was looking for in that game was how well prepared was Louisiana Tech going to be? Because you you have you know you go to that UTSA game and you don't have any film on this super back offense, whatever they're calling it. You know the wildcat approach where you don't have a quarterback and feel like that was to Southern Miss's benefit to where you know you couldn't really prepare for that um, so you have it on film and and the question was how well prepared was LaTeX and it seems like not very well at all yeah I mean the thing with the Wildcat is so I was kind of watching the film yesterday and it, it kind of just simplifies things basically I mean you're just snapping the ball uh, to an athlete you got seven blockers in most cases so I was watching it on 41 of the 61 plays so that's about you know two-thirds of the plays you had two tight ends, say seven blockers, and it's kind of just like seven blockers against seven or eight in the box, and mm-hmm. it's who can block who basically. And um, and a lot of those, a lot of those plays actually were the big chunk plays. Uh, I forgot what the exact number was, but a lot of those big chunk plays were not in the two tight ends. That was just one tight end. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of it simplifies the offense, and um, you know you had you were able to run the ball at times, and you're able to get some big plays in the passing game. Uh, the big Gore um, pass, which was basically something where they didn't have any safety help. They mm-hmm. had uh, Brownlee just beat his man, and Gore was able to get the ball to him. Uh, and then you had that great play um, from w- uh, Willis to Gunner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just so beautifully drawn up. Where um, Drew it up in the dirt. Yeah. Said. Well, he called that timeout. I guess he saw something on defense he, he liked. And uh, the linebacker for La Tech stayed in, to, uh, keyed, it, keyed in on the run, and uh, Gunner was able to run free or, you know, be wide open there, uh, just standing in end zone and uh, caught the pass. So, yeah, you were able to run the ball um, effectively enough, and you had some big plays in the passing game. You caused turnovers, mm-hmm. uh, and that was just kind of the recipe. Um, you know, decent enough running game, big plays. In the, I mean, it's kind of when Will Hall talks about offense, he, he talks about he wants to be able to run the ball, yeah. have explosive plays in the passing game. Uh, and those are two things that we, uh, you know, Maybe not as explosive in the running game. I, I I don't know what the box score had on that in terms of yards per rush. I, I feel like we maybe had a couple chunk plays in the uh, run game, but um, three point nine yards. Okay, so yeah. I mean you know not great, but uh, you're able better to, than it has been last couple. Yeah, of years. and you were and yeah. So you you run enough, 
and then you have the explosive plays. Like you know, just repeating myself basically, uh, create turnovers, and that was yeah. So that was kind of talking in circles at this point, but uh, that was kind of the recipe. Yeah, well, that, the and that was the big thing too. Is you finally win the turnover margin. I mean, you're. I think dead last coming into that game in turnover margin or uh, in the yeah. bottom 10 at least. I think last – I know I know last in both categories of interceptions and fumbles lost. And so it would – you know, I guess that would make sense if you were dead last in turnover margin. But, um, yeah, you hold on to the ball for the most part uh, outside of, you know, the few fumbles you get from – Guys being flushed out of the pocket who who you know don't know how to really hold on to the ball as a quarterback, and, right? And, and the bad have, pass from right. Frank Gore Jr. Um, was that your what you yeah, were about to exactly. say? Um, yeah, and and so and those that just kind of comes with the chaos. You're gonna you're gonna give a few of those up, um, but I think it it also points to something that we've talked about how you do have talent at the skill positions, and you finally, I mean this this game plan that you have have sort of worked out without a quarterback is almost wholly leaning on that um, on that advantage. Maybe one of the few advantages that you have is you do have some talent at wide receiver and and at running back and Richard and Gore Jr. Um, and then guys like Brownlee uh, and Caston are you know now one on one because like you said you outnumber the guys in the box and they have to play the run. Uh, you almost always have to pull the safety up. Um, which which gives you an opportunity on the outside to get some space and to just kind of throw it up and see what happens. And uh, it worked beautifully. I mean, throughout the game, you saw them sort of make that second-half adjustment of uh, spreading it out a little bit more and trying to, to play the, um, you know, the linebackers a little deeper. And, I mean, that it, it didn't work. I mean, the same same thing, like you said, it's just – a very simple approach, like Coach Hall said, checkers, not chess. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really, really difficult to defend if you have the skilled players to execute it. And we did. And, uh, I mean, no reason to expect anything different on, on this Saturday uh, against FIU. Likely a very similar approach. Um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what uh, Butch Davis throws at us. Um, but, yeah, we'll talk about FIU in a second. But, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know, it was just fun. And it was, um, yeah, just a huge momentum booster for the program moving into this offseason. That's another thing we've talked about is if you can get, if you can just get one or two wins on the tail end of the schedule, um, that would be so big uh, just in terms of being encouraged about the direction and going into the offseason. And Coach Hall said something interesting post-practice, I think it was yesterday, but how he doesn't really he doesn't think that it, you know it's going to affect recruiting that much if any um and i and i think that points to just you know the sell is the same you're selling the program and not you know not the 2021 team um but i i i do think it plays into recruiting a little bit because you you inject some energy into the fan base and you get on that friday night game you get some exposure i mean you're trending trending on twitter and all of these, I mean, I think just about every college football person oh, I follow all on, the, on Twitter. All the blue checks were going wild. Yeah, uh, if anything, just for Frank Gore Jr. throwing touchdown passes. Yeah, just yeah. because it was so ludicrous, and uh, and it worked. And you you beat Louisiana Tech, uh, yeah, by by multiple scores with a pick six at the end. And, uh, and also the fact that it was Louisiana Tech makes it so much funnier. 
um, I was I listened to the first quarter on the radio, um, and it was yeah. I, I'll always have the uh, the mental image of of Bo Morgan on the sideline <laughs> shouting to John Cox, who was in at quarterback just about every play. It's you know that it was it was just so funny in so many so many different ways. Um, and I think you have to be. Somebody made this comment. I forget where it was on Twitter or, or what, but um, I think it shows you that Will Hall has maybe what you call the monk and gene of the guys that they are playing hard. You're one and nine and your guys are still playing hard and they still want to win. Not that that's, you know, obviously if you're, you, you know, if you're a college football player, you're, you know, you're, you want to win, you're a competitor, but to have the team still collectively bought in, in such a long and chaotic season where so many different things have gone against you as far as injuries and just so many different things to have them still playing together and are positive publicly and yeah just to see the of the joy on the sideline throughout the game and even coming into that game um I, I think that that's got to give you a lot of encouragement if you're if you're a fan of Southern Miss moving forward because you know, there were some callbacks to that 2013 game against UAB where you felt like, okay, maybe this is moving in the right direction at least. The needle is 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 pointed in the right direction. And I think you saw that uh, – I think you saw that on Friday night, just, just the fact that um, this, this coaching staff is – you know, we talked about the baseline level of, of competence that they showed against UTSA – that that is there, and not only that, but these guys love playing for them, even in a one and nine year. I think that's a huge deal. Yeah, yeah, that's something we talked about earlier in the year, just building the culture. Yeah, uh, and you, you know, you start to see it in these tough late in the year moments where the team's still playing hard, and then along with the culture uh, part of the Munkin gene, you also have the innovation gene, where mm-hmm. you know you're basically installing. A, I mean, you know, we talked about it simplifies things, but it is a completely new offense. Yeah, uh, different than what you've been doing all year. You put that in because you want to win games and. Yeah, you take – I mean, you win this game against a rival, and then you have a very winnable game. We'll talk about that later where you can end the season. You know, we kind of talked about if we could just go 3-9, and nine, yeah, we'd be really happy. And after we lost uh, to um, uh, North Texas, we thought, you know, thinking was, oh, well, that's a long shot now because you probably won't beat La Tech. Um, so you go in and beat La Tech, and you got a good chance uh, to win this next game. Uh, and that would really, you know, yeah, I mean, that's something, I don't know how, I mean, the way, I guess, Hall's talking about it, sounds like he already has all the recruits he wants if he's saying it's not going to affect sure. recruiting. Maybe they haven't been announced yet or something like that. But, um, you know, in terms of the portal, JUCO or whatever. But you take a lot of momentum uh, in the next year, just the fan base, where you can point and say, all right, we played well the last two games. The staff, we got the right staff. They're making strides. Uh, that really gives people uh, some hope after a you know a really crazy uh, 2021 season where you had so much chaos with the quarterback position mm-hmm. uh, and injuries and that kind of thing. So yeah, just to give you just to give you some confidence moving into the off season and, and we've seen you know how well Coach Hall can can boost the energy around the program in the off season and and that'll you know that'll um, that'll give you some further foundation for that in in the in the following off season and. And through recor- uh, recruiting, even past the early signing period, 
and again, just to just for it to be Louisiana Tech, I think is is the funniest thing ever. Uh, could be the last time we well, play. Well, that's them. what I was thinking. So I, the thinking I had, uh, the game I was thinking of was in 2011 mm-hmm. uh, when Texas beat Texas A and M on the last. This was the last A and M had already announced they were going yeah, to the SEC, yeah. and this was the last game. People were thinking forever. Now they're going to you know play in the SEC, but uh, our Texas beat them on a last second field goal, and I kind of had the same feeling mm-hmm. except the school leaving one instead of the school yeah. staying. Uh, but I guess the way that ends up, if it ends up like the Texas Texas A and M uh, series, Tech will just join the Sun Belt uh, to go to 16 teams in 2031. Uh, <laughs> is the way that worked. But yeah, I mean, this could very well be the last game. For I was just kind of looking at La Tech's schedule even before the game and the future schedules, and I mean, it probably be at least five years before we can play them again. Yeah. So um, it's kind of one of those things we can hold over against them if they ever try to talk <laughs> smack. We're like, yeah, you lost to a USM team not playing any quarterbacks. Yep. Uh, so. Yeah, it was, um, you know, a lot of things that made it fun. The Wildcat getting that international exposure on a Friday night, which gives you a taste of what the Sun Belt's yes. going to be like yeah. with those Wednesday, Thursday games. Uh, and then couple that with the, uh, you know, La Tech uh, kind of funny rivalry factor and that kind of thing uh, really uh, made it a great uh, win, great moment for the program. I just, yeah, I, I just imagine Skip Holt sitting in his office after the game looking at all the, the box scores, the times he lost to Southern Miss and, just see that I, I just imagine he has a very pure hatred for Southern Miss. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they've, uh, we, we've, we have had their number, which is, is not true of, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of seems anti Southern Miss to, to have, uh, to have somebody's number where you, you beat somebody pretty often where you shouldn't. And, uh, yeah, you did that again Friday night. And it just kind of solidifies that theme. Yeah, what do we talk about? Like, La Tech is the only school more snake bit than we are, mm-hmm. so that just fits that uh, that pattern right there. Yeah, so. it does. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fun and uh, just, just fun to kind of leave Louisiana Tech in the dust. Hopefully, you know, I guess maybe you'd have another opportunity next year if, if you have the lame duck year, which which hopefully that is not the case. Uh, saw they announced uh, the end zone expansion at uh, – at the football stadium. Oh, yeah. I you know, thought that was kind of funny. Was, a lot of their fans were reacting, <laughs> just kind of asking why, uh, it, you know, at this point to do that uh, because you can't even fill it halfway up um, at this point. And, and also a lot of people uh, really, really do not like Skip Holtz. It's interesting to see how they handle that. It's, it seems to be moving towards this is going to be his last year Could be, in yeah. Ruston. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's good to – Gonna send him on his way, and hopefully some Louisiana Tech on their way. Let's uh, let's roll right into the FIU preview. How about it? Yeah, so um, FIU uh, comes in one and ten, zero and seven in CUSA. Uh, they just got off a forty nine seven loss to North Texas. We've talked about Butch Davis feuding with the administration. Yeah. Wore a U.S. Navy a hat and uh, like sweater uh to the game. Just doesn't on, care anymore. Yeah, he's completely done with the administration, uh, and hopefully. Just hoping the team isn't doing one of those, you know, win one for the Gipper, uh, based on what we saw Saturday. That that doesn't look like is the case. Um, so yeah, FIU only win was over Long Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, USM comes in as a double digit favorite. Uh, yesterday it was ten and a half. I don't know if that's moved at all, but FPI uh, gives USM an eighty percent chance to win. So it's, you know, you've had a string of games where you're heavy underdog, and now, uh, you know, you're coming in as a pretty decent favorite. So this is a game where it's very winnable. Uh, kind of just basically keep doing what you've been doing, running that wildcat offense, and um, you know executing on that the best you can, and 
Um, you know, sending out the team, sending out the seniors on a good note. Hopefully, the Thanksgiving games uh, in terms of attendance are always hard. Yeah. I mean, those are always usually the worst attending games. I mean, even going back to 2011, I remember we played Memphis the Saturday after Thanksgiving. It was top 25, you know, top 25 USM team. And, you know, there's like a couple thousand people in the stands. Uh, so hopefully we get a good crowd there. Uh, I know it's tough with the holiday. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a chance to really, uh, like we were saying, get some momentum heading into uh, the next season with a very winnable game. Yeah, it almost almost scares you a little bit to be a double-digit favorite at this point. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's kind of one of those USM things where you feel like all the time, like we'll win a big game and then we'll yep. lose a game we should win. But uh, I don't know. You know, FAU, they're, or FIU, they're really down right now. So, yeah. You hope you can handle business. Yeah, so. really, really down. Have, have not been not been great on either side of the ball. No, um, I was looking at their bottom ten, I think, and – both uh, like efficiency and mm-hmm. offense and defensive efficiency. Yeah, they've they've been neck and neck with us with one of the worst teams in college football all pretty much all year. Uh, quarterback Bortenschlager, I think I'm saying that yes, right. Yes. Uh, he's he's had a decent His year. His numbers aren't terrible. No, um, just hasn't been very consistent. And again, hasn't ha- had really any help at all on the defensive side of the ball. Um, do you have a really uh, Tyrese Chambers? I think is his name. Let me, see. yeah, Tyrese Chambers, uh, just about at a thousand yards. So to have a have a thousand yard receiver uh, with that team and, and how how bad they've been, uh, at, yeah, points to him being being pretty good. And so likely they'll they will uh, try to play to that matchup um, pretty much all day, and you'll probably put your best corner on him. Um, but yeah, I, I think you feel you feel pretty good coming into this matchup, and and even you know the last two weeks, UTSA and especially UTSA, but I would say Louisiana Tech too. There was just with where you are personnel wise, there was a talent gap. You were not the most talented team on the field uh, in either of those two two weeks, and and had a chance to to beat UTSA and obviously beat Louisiana Tech. And I think this week you are either on the same plane or more talented than FIU coming into this game. So that's that's a big advantage. This is the yeah, this is the first game outside of Grambling State where you feel like you're you are the more talented team on the field, even with all of those injuries. And uh again, likely the same approach offensively. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see a few more tweaks there. Maybe somebody else in the backfield gets a few more touches I thought it was uh, it was really encouraging to me just to briefly go back to the La Tech game to see Richard get more touches. We we yeah. talked about how he he only got I think three or four. Um, or yeah, maybe. they really split it. So I, I went back and watched who took the snaps, uh, and Richard had nineteen, mm-hmm. Gore had seventeen, Jones had fifteen. So it was really evenly yeah. put between those three. Obviously, Willis got some snaps. Um, so yeah, it was. That was good to see them not rely quite as much on Gore like they did in that first game. Yes. Make sure you keep him fresh, keep him healthy. And you got, you know, like we are saying, you got enough skill guys that can run that Wildcat quarterback position uh, to where you don't have to, you know, play Gore all those snaps. So Yeah, which – and and Frank was not healthy. And, you know, we found that out after the game. where He was, he was more of just a decoy and wasn't going to run the ball. And sounds like that's not going to be the case this week. So that gives you even more of an option to run Frank and, and whoever you throw out there – uh, so, yeah, big advantage Southern Miss, I would say, on both sides of the ball, which, again, is is a little concerning. Uh, just 
you know, if the past is any indication. Um, but you, you feel good just on paper coming into this game. And it, again, it would be, yeah, it, it would be a big win um, to tackle on, on top of that La Tech victory and uh, could be the last Conference USA could game be. ever. That's crazy to think. <laughs> it uh, is. I, I, I was trying to, I could probably find this out, how many Conference USA games we've played. I'll probably tweet something like yeah. whatever that number yeah. is. It's got to be. Well, this is so we 1996 was our first year. So if you're thinking it's about eight games a year, uh, over you know 25 seasons, it's probably been it's been over 200 games. I would think around 200. Gosh. Yeah, uh, Conference USA games. Uh, the first couple of years you didn't play eight games because there's only there's only you know because seven or eight teams. But yeah, yeah it's just been a uh, a quarter century in Conference USA, and mm-hmm. it could all be coming to an end on a Saturday. So it'd be nice to go out with the win in Conference USA. Oh man, and um. There was something else I was going to say. Um, it would also be yeah, it, it would be pretty pretty crushing, to, not to not to be overly negative, but I, I I don't know that it would remove all of the momentum from the win last weekend, but uh, to lose to FAU with the shape that they're in, that would uh, that'd be a pretty tough loss. And so this yeah. is this is a big big game that that cannot be understated. And yeah, it's a it's a two and nine team versus a. <laughs> A one in ten, one in ten team, the two bottom dwellers in Conference USA in 2021, but pretty massive, uh, I would say, for the direction of the program again heading into the off season and great chance to win. Um, and I, I expect uh, just the way that we played last week, and you know, to send the seniors out on a high note. I think there's no reason to think that you know they won't be ready to play, and um, hopefully you can. Hopefully, you know you can you can go out and dominate and and it not ever really be in question. Uh, don't think that's going to be the case because, again, just just the the, the offense you're running likely you're going to have some some silly turnovers and some bad breaks. That that's just been, um, you know, kind of the evergreen truth of of every single game. But you win the turnover margin again and you play on offense like you did last week. You get a few big plays in the passing game and you feel really good about this one. Yeah, I just remember what I was going to say. So if if you win this one, you go to three and nine, which you mean mm-hmm. you're a year ahead of where Munkin was. Right. Yeah. Rebuild. Yeah. So just kind of a comparison, uh, where you you know hopefully set yourself up for uh, success in 2022. I don't know if you expect yeah. to win the division like Munkin did after his three and nine. You feel like you can go win six. Right. You can yeah. go win six, seven. Put yourself in the New Orleans Bowl in the 2023. You hope you're competing for a division, competing for the conference championship. Um, so yeah, big game uh, for the rebuild and uh, you know continuing to make progress. Uh, toward, uh, you know, the goal that uh, the coaching staff has. So. Yeah, and that's, that's also the way Coach Hall is, has sort of uh, alluded to the way he's talking about next year and next. And, you know, he, uh, the phrase he keeps using, you know, you better beat us now because you're not going to be able to in a couple of years. And yeah. I forget which uh, – maybe it was the coach's show or the post-game interview after the La Tech game. Uh, where he said the same thing and, you know, uh, said they're not going to want to play us next year and and, uh, and the year after that, something or another, where he pointed to not next year but the next is, is going to be the year where yeah. you, you see a really big jump. And so I, I think he's – that's sort of his thinking is you you get these new pieces in uh, and you – you have a, a quality year next year where you push for a bowl, and then the year after that is where you expect to play for a conference championship. Um, and, and, yeah, no reason to think that's not the case. It feels like that's that's sort of 
the progression that you're making. Um, and, and again, the off season is, 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 uh, as big as it, is it, as it ever is. Um, and, and a, a lot of those, you, you've been pretty quiet on the recruiting front, I would say relative to how, uh, usually, usually you are leading up to this early signing period. So I don't expect the next couple of weeks to be pretty big to hopefully see a lot of those, uh, recruits announced. And then, uh, especially following the season where you, a lot of those uh, transfers would, would come into play um, and start to see some of those guys get announced. And after the JUCO season is over, uh, a lot of those gaps start to be filled. So we will, uh, we will certainly keep an eye on that uh, along with the rest of you. And uh, anything, anything else on, uh, on football before we move on? Uh, I think, uh, I think that'd be it. Unless, okay. Yeah, well, let's roll right into basketball. Um, Victory over Lamar on Sunday. That was an early afternoon game. 82-75 was the final. And uh, first half was was pretty rough. I'm not going to lie. I, I was, uh, was, was kind of um, in uh, rock bottom mode a little bit in the first half where we had, you know, just came out and were playing and shooting like we have been, uh, particularly in those last two games where it was just so poor and anemic, like you put it, uh, offensively. We just could not put the ball in the hole, and we're getting the open looks, and we're not making them. And um, But then in the in the second half, you really turned it around, and we're pretty off, uh, efficient offensively. It started making some of those shots, which allowed you to pull ahead. I think you were down five or six at halftime, and uh, – yeah, I, I thought that second half was encouraging where you start to see some of those guys shoot it with confidence. Um, and, yeah, uh, allowed you to get the seven-point victory, which, again, you really needed to win that game heading into this this Thanksgiving tournament. Yeah, it was a game where really I think uh, Landry said it was maybe the best second half uh, yeah. we've played since he's been here. Mm. And I think when you look at the numbers, I think it kind of backs that up, at least offensively. Uh, so you had 1.49 points per possession, which is really, really elite offensive production. Yeah, uh, you scored on 23, 33 possessions in the second half. The 70 percent of your possessions again, that's very uh, high level performance. You made mm-hmm. nine straight shots at one point, you made 14, 16 at one point in the second half. So yeah, really those shots started to fall. You got to the line some, uh, and yeah, you know maybe not the best defensive game uh, you've ever played, but yeah. offensively, really, really strong. Uh, performance there on um, Sunday afternoon, and it's hopefully something you can take, uh, you know, like you're saying, into the Thanksgiving tournament uh, in Montana. Continue some of that offensive performance because, you know, that was kind of the question going into the year we talked about last week too, where, you know, can you generate enough offense to have a competitive team? Yep. Uh, And you did see enough offense, more than enough offense in that second half against Lamar. Um, So, yeah, big – Big uh, Tay Hardy had a big game. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaiah Moore had a nice game. Um, those guys had a. I can't. I'll have the uh, box score in front of me, but I know they were right toward the top of game score, which is like efficiency and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. DeAndre Pinkney made some outside shots. He's a yeah. guy who really hasn't done a lot from beyond the arc. Yep. But he showed some range. That was good to see. He could be a big part of the offense if he starts hitting shots. Yeah, that's that's one thing I was going to point out about this game. Just just watching the offense, uh, especially in the second half when they were good. Uh, DeAndre Pinckney was aggressive offensively. And I, I think he, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only one that, that holds this opinion. I'm, uh, hopefully Coach Ladner is, is sort of pushing him to be more aggressive and take more of those shots. Only only took four um, three-point attempts, and that was half of his attempts from the field. But um, 
I think yeah, I think for this offense to be really good and play at that level of efficiency, which you, you can't necessarily expect that, you know, for a full forty minutes throughout the rest of the year. But um, if if you want to get close to that sort of efficiency, I think some of your your big guys are going to have to score it well. And I would I would put Pinkney in that conversation um, of guys you really have to have be productive and have shown that uh, that he he can shoot it. Uh, you know, with with pretty good accuracy, especially from three point um, from three point range, and typically, like you said, just hasn't done a whole lot and has not been aggressive offensively. And so, uh, we saw Lamar give him some space. I think, you know, maybe maybe because he has not been aggressive, but if he gets space, um, yeah, he, he can he can really really help this offense. And I I would love to see him take more shots. Uh, was five of eight from the field at thirteen, and we saw that uh, you, you sort of see it in spurts with him. Um, again, he was the leading scorer in that exhibition game against Delta State, and shot it really, really well. And so to have a, a guy like that who can who can really stretch the floor, um, who can you know kind of bang down low if if he needs to, depending on on who's matched up with him uh, alongside Tay Hardy, uh, I, I think that gives you a lot of space to do a lot of different things offensively rather than it just being your guards, um, you know, Hardy and Pierre kind of going at it and, and driving the lane and, and kicking it out, not really having an, an option outside to go to, uh, again, without Kanunsik, which is, I, I think we've, we've seen how big of a loss that was to not have that spot up shooter outside. I think, I think Pinkney can, can sort of play in that, right. In that role. Uh, and be really helpful. So UNC Wilmington tomorrow night. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, the the, the uh, six o'clock. Yeah, six o'clock game. That's on ESPN Plus, I believe. Yeah. So the Zootown Classic uh, on the campus of um, University of Montana. So you have mm-hmm. UNC Wilmington, uh, UNC or U UC San Diego, yeah. uh, which is a transitional team uh, to D one. They're in the Big West, and then you play uh, a true road game against Montana. So Wilmington and San Diego, or UC San Diego, those are sub-200 teams. Those aren't great teams, mm-hmm. but they're still teams that, I mean, they're around where we are in terms of uh, Ken Palm and the metrics like that. Uh, and then Montana is the best team uh, out of the four. They are, I think, top three in the Big West uh, in terms of, uh, like, Ken Palm and T-Rank, mm-hmm. uh, around 170 maybe. So that's going to be your most formidable opponent. Uh, with just the fact that they're the best team out of the four, it looks like, and then plus you're playing them on their home court. Mm-hmm. But this is a tournament where if you go two and one, especially if that loss is to Montana, you're not super discouraged. If you go one and two, you're disappointed. Yeah, and obviously zero oh, and three as well. But if you go three and zero, oh, you'll feel really good. Yeah, because, uh, that would put you, I guess, at uh, four and uh, or five and two, right? Yeah, five and two, yeah. and then four and two against Division One opponents. So this is a big, uh, a big weekend or big week. Um, in terms of really creating, uh, I guess, somewhere to jump off from in terms of uh, back half of the non-conference and heading into conference play where you have three winnable games. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how you shoot at that altitude yeah. out there. I don't know how that's going to affect us. Um, I guess the other teams are Wilmington and San Diego. Those are teams right on the coast. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess low altitude for them too. Maybe it'll affect them as well. But um yeah, it's a big week for basketball, yeah. and uh, you know, hopefully, get uh, two or three wins to really feel good uh, heading into the next quarter of the season. Yeah, I think you you got to win two out of three, especially you go into or you come out of that 
um, that holiday tournament and you go right to Mobile on, let's see, that's a Wednesday, that following Wednesday. And uh, that that's going to be a really tough game. That's another measuring stick game. Uh, because South Alabama is, has got um, pretty much a brand new team. We were talking about that before we, we recorded, but uh, yeah, Coach Riley has got the Jaguars rolling. They, they are uh, pretty deep, talented, deeply talented, uh, top to bottom, and a bunch of power five transfers. And so, yeah, yeah, it'd be a big, big deal to to get um, some of that momentum going to the final stretch uh, in, or I guess, the final month of of non conference play uh, in December. So there, there are a bunch of big ones in December. But uh, yeah, Wednesday tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, at six o'clock. Um, that's a big. I think that is on ESPN Plus. I, I'm second guessing myself. You said uh, the, the South Al game or the um the game tomorrow night. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm not seeing it on um. Yeah, I'm not either. I was. I thought I'd seen that. I, I thought all three of those were on. Now it looks like just the game against Montana is. It yeah. might be a situation where the only games are the games involving Montana. Um, so I'm looking at their schedule. All three of their games are on ESPN. Uh, plus, mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to be a late uh, game on Friday, or I guess all at eight thirty. Eight thirty. Um, yeah. So the first two games are at six. Wednesday and Thursday game six. Eight thirty mm-hmm. on Friday. Uh, kind of reminds me of uh, when we played in the Great Alaskan Shootout in uh, twenty eleven, and just stay up to watch it on like at two a.m. against like <laughs> I'm trying to remember. We played like UC Irvine yeah. in that tournament. It was on like some obscure cable channel, like channel one thousand and something. <laughs> And uh, anyways, I think we that was the year we went to the uh, went to the big dance. Yeah, and, uh, we lost to Murray State. Orell is a really good Murray State team. Mm-hmm. Um, we lost to them uh, in the final, like in one or two overtimes. But uh, yeah, those are holiday tournaments. They're always fun. Those Thanksgiving, yeah, and, uh, Christmas tournaments. That's one of the great uh, you know college basketball traditions. Yeah, and this this is a really interesting tournament too because you really, I mean, these are obviously opponents you don't typically see. Uh, but like you said, this the first two at least are. Or sort of, uh, you know, right alongside you as far as the ratings go, and, and you know, kind of bottom tier uh, in the, you know, Wilmington, the transitional teams, sort of just a lot of question marks. And um, again, three big games, three you need to win moving into the the final month of non conference play. So six o'clock Wednesday night, we have no idea how uh, be able to watch that. It, I guess maybe it might just be radio. It's, cr- it's like the old days. Like yeah, you know, that's just, right. Only way you can follow is um, is listen to John Cox, who will not be there. I just saw a tweet actually earlier today from the oh. uh, the M Braves uh, announcer will be covering for Cox uh, in Missoula. He will be calling the game. So the announcer, yeah, for Chris the, Harris. Yes. So the announcer for the Mississippi Braves yeah. will be doing the USM broadcast with uh, Cox still in Hattiesburg for football. So. Uh, yeah, I guess you get a uh, new voice uh, for basketball <laughs> yeah. this week. So. And I like Chris Harrison a lot. He does a good job. So It used to be with the Shuckers, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. So might be the only way to keep tabs on the Golden Eagles is the, the old traditional way, snuggle up by the fireplace, turn the radio on. Uh, this, that's a big one. Wednesday night again. So we will, yeah, we'll break down the Zootown Classic next week again. And, uh, yeah, that'll – I'll tell you a lot about this team. Um, let's uh, let's move on to uh, really interesting recruiting confidential that the athletic does. Um, I think annually, 
or they, I think they just put them out whenever. They've been doing all these states, and I was wondering if they were going to yeah. do Mississippi because they don't have uh, a dedicated Mississippi rider for any Mississippi teams. I don't, Ole Miss and State don't have a um, yeah. a rider for the athletic. But they did. The guys they actually brought in to write the article uh, was uh, two athletic article or writers that used to write for the Clarence Ledger. They used to cover Ole Miss and State, so they have mm. connections within the state. But it was very interesting article. Uh, about recruiting. Uh, they interviewed basically like eight or nine high school coaches, asked them some questions. Uh, and so the, I guess the main points I took away were they thought that Kiffin and Leach were kind of disinterested in the state, which isn't that surprising. Kiffin no. is um, you know, kind of a national brand, and so is Leach. Uh, and you know, in the case of Ole Miss, one of the um, high school coaches interviewed even said it, but um, so Ole Miss has always kind of been on – been able to recruit a little more nationally because they do have a little bit of that, you know, Southern Party School brand yeah. that can allow you to take in players outside the state, which state has historically not had. But Leach is um, let's kind of kind of get into the point how it affects USM. But Leach um, kind of has, like we're saying, that national appeal. So what that means is, if you go back and look at like an MSU during the Dan Mullen era, they kind of since they didn't or weren't able to get big time recruits out of state like an Ole Miss did. Uh, they kind of went for more developmental, like lower three-star, yeah. diamond-in-the-rough type players. Yeah. Uh, and Leach, you know, he'll be able to go to you know to like a state like Texas, where he has connections and get more players from there, as opposed to getting some of those, um, you know, kind of diamond-in-the-rough, lower three-star players. And I'm just I was looking earlier at the, uh, old ratings today. Guys like Bernardrick McKinney, Elton, Elton Jenkins, uh, those were big-time you know players at state now in the NFL, and those were kind of like you know 81, 82, low three-star guys that State got, and um, those are kind of the players USM used to get. Mm-hmm. Those were in-state guys uh, that went to State because they were really heavy on uh, in-state recruiting under Mullen. Uh, so I think that can help USM in terms of more of those guys come here as yeah. opposed to, um, you know, State or Ole Miss, you know, where they're kind of focusing more on a regional or it's like a more southern regional approach or a national approach as opposed to um, really keying in on Mississippi. So I thought that was um, – that part was interesting as it – relates as it relates to those two schools affecting USM and recruiting but um then they they did ask a question like how is Will Hall what does he need to do and most of the guy or the they four coaches commented and they basically said you know he's doing the right things you know USM fans need to be patient there's there's one guy that was like yeah you know girl, you know he kind of gave the typical like Ole Miss State fan answer like yeah there's so many schools with UAB and Troy and I don't know what they <laughs> yeah. can do but I mean they were basically saying like yeah he's doing the right things you know, they just got to be patient. They didn't really say a whole lot other than that, but they were kind of talking about, you know, USM, they got to get some of these kind of like two-star, like, you know, diamond in the rough or mm. more developmental players um, from like, you know, the small towns like Louisville, Mississippi uh, was the town they mentioned. So it was kind of interesting to see what they thought about um, kind of recruiting in the state um, and how, uh, you know, different approaches uh, from Ole Miss and State can help USM. Um, and then you got, you know, the comments about Hall, people think uh, he's doing good things on the recruiting trail with the program. So I just thought all that was interesting. Yeah, it is. And it's also, I mean, that's another thing that I think gives you some confidence in Coach Hall. I mean, just about every place you look in the industry across the board in college football, be it media or coaches that, uh, you know, that that are at, at uh, be it people, uh, peer programs or power five schools, whatever it may be, uh, just about everyone's c- consensus seems to be that uh, that a lot of people have confidence in Coach Hall that he's he's moving this in the right direction. And I think the philosophy of uh, which is 
we've talked about it's kind of the anti Jay Hobson philosophy of, of instead of, you know, putting 500 offers in the cannon and shooting it across the, the country of, of really, you know, you know, drawing the circle of a certain hundred mile radius and, and really, really going after the guys that are close to you. Uh, I think that that plays into that and, and having state and Ole Miss sort of moving outside of that, I think gives you a big boost. And you point to guys like, uh, you know, Stephen Hutterson is the first one I think of, the, you know, out of pedal who you lost to Tulane and, and was so good there and absolutely demolished us when we played them uh, a couple of years ago. I I think you, yeah, you, you boost your profile with guys like that um, to where it is, it's beneficial to stay home and you're less likely to go to a Tulane or a Memphis or a Lafayette, um, you know, fill in the blank, whatever, um, because you create this brand of, um, you know, we are Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, uh, and we're going to develop you and you're going to great, get a, going to get a great chance to, to, to be successful in a successful program that is close to home. And I, I think that is, is what you have lacked that sort of recruiting identity. Uh, and, and so, yeah, to that, I mean, to the point of the article, I think, um, the lack of emphasis for State and Ole Miss really helps you. And it also kind of puts you in a, an interesting place as a Southern Miss fan, you know, almost typically the default, I think, I could speak for most people, is root against State and Ole Miss and, and yeah. pretty much everything. And it's almost, uh, it's this interesting thing that, that their rise and, uh, you know, these, these hires that they've made, which have been really good hires, is starting to look like it's, it's you know, maybe benefiting Southern Miss in some ways. Not saying you should pull for State and Ole Miss and everything, right. uh, but yeah, it, there's this other side of it of as that that gap sort of increases, which again, don't think you should root for. Um, it it also might boost Southern Miss and allow you to, on the other end of that, sort of close that gap as far as recruiting, um, as you 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 know see State and Ole Miss sort of take their eyes off of Mississippi, which is. Uh, you know, one of the richer recruiting grounds in the country as, as far as per capita and all those different things and gives you a chance at those other guys. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was really interesting too and, and puts you sort of in a, a weird place as far as what to root for. But I, I think to get to get those guys uh, or to have a chance to get more of those guys, I think, allows you to, to, to continue to build that foundation where you can build a lot of momentum year after year uh, because you you know you start to get guys like a Hutterson from Pedal and he does really well and you know he has a teammate at Pedal and uh, you know it's 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 kind of a snowball effect and I think you've completely lost that uh, with Jay Hobson and uh, you know even you know you can point back to Larry Fedora Fedora was was less emphasized on on uh, Mississippi and was you know recruited Florida pretty heavily and Alabama and Alabama yeah and. Uh, yeah, it was outside of that radius. And so I think getting back to that is, is highly beneficial. And, and where you really need to be as far as uh, again, setting that foundation and, and progressing with the landscape as it is as far as uh, recruiting and, and all the different conference realignment things. So, Or, well, yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. Kenny Gainwell was another guy. Um, yeah, yeah. He said he went to Memphis. But another thing with realignment has helped us is it used to be the past decade, Memphis and Tulane could tell a Mississippi kid, all right, well, like, USM and us, like we're both group of five, but we're in a vastly superior yes. conference. 
And now it's the conference realignment has really even things out in terms of Group Five. Yeah, where, you can't say that. Where the AAC is not the dominant force that they once were. They'll probably You're, still try to make that argument, I'm sure. They will, but I mean, the facts are it's, it's going to be a much more even playing field in terms of the conference. So you really don't have the conference uh, angle you can Memphis and Tulane can't in terms of uh, recruiting um, Mississippi, Mississippi kids. And yeah. You, you, you know, Tell players like, yeah, we're, we're Mississippi's Group of Five school, all right? Like, come play for your home state. I'm, I don't know how much of an appeal that is. You know, you know, some people that just want to get out, want to get out, and, you know, see another state or see another city. Yeah. But um, yeah. So, and then back to the thing about, uh, I guess, almost the state. It was that's kind of remember people were saying like in 2014, 2015 when they were having a really good season. It was like, yeah, well, you know, Ole Miss and State they're winning, but maybe they'll open up more players for us. Sure. And uh, I guess that didn't really happen because you had Freeze and Mullen there. Those were both guys that were really recruited Mississippi hard. Yep. And now um, you have Kiffin and Leach, which are more kind of national uh, personalities, yeah. uh, which could allow you to get more of those um, players that you haven't been getting in the past. So, uh, yeah, I think I just thought that was an interesting article. Yeah, and we'll see, we'll see how long Lane Kiffin lasts at Ole Miss. He's, his name has come up a lot, which is, you know <laughs> – I feel like he's he's one of those names where people just just throw him out just about every big job that opens up. But yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see how long that lasts. And then Billy Napier, which we will uh, talk about in this uh, next. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great segue, Pat. Yeah. Uh, yeah, plenty of openings in in the Sun Belt West specifically, and with Billy Napier being thrown around at at LSU in Florida, um, I've been looking at you know the. I, it, it always just cracks me up, all the, the flight tracking that, that <laughs> happens and, and all of the, the internet sleuths that, that come out of the woodworks at, you know, during these coaching searches. Um, but his, his name is, has been, um, I think, pretty, pretty seriously mentioned in several of those jobs. And so it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a foregone conclusion, but um, it would not be surprising at all to see him, see Napier finally get the job that he wants and to move on and, and so at that point, you have three, three uh, openings. Yeah. So what's going to happen is so we we, we think Napier is going to take a big job. Texas State is surprisingly Texas State has not fired Jake Spavitt yeah. yet. I think that's that, got to be coming. People think that's going to be coming. Like after they had lost a game really badly to ULL, and their athletic director like pinned a letter to the fans like, "Yeah, this is bad. We know it's bad." <laughs> so that's you know usually when that happens, the coach doesn't usually survive. not a good sign. Yeah. And then Chip Lindsey was fired. Uh, I guess that broke on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So these you're going to have Troy is definitely hiring ULL and Texas State. We think they're going to hire. So those three hires are going to be really huge mm-hmm. in terms of determining the health of the Sun Belt West. You know. Um, you know, one hand, I mean, I, I'm rooting for these schools to make good hires because I want the Sun Belt to oh, be yeah. good. And I guess, you know, on the other hand, you could say, well, we want easy wins, but I think you want the conference to be good. Um, you know, it's not like the SEC or Big Ten where you guaranteed, guaranteed to be like a baseline level of good. Right. Sun Belt, they got to have good coaches to have good programs. So, um, but yeah, Chip Lindsey uh, is also the names that were thrown around there. John Summerall, who was with uh, Neil Brown uh, at Troy, he's the Kentucky defensive coordinator. Uh, he was thrown around. Rhett Lashley was – this was before uh, there was actually a report that broke. Rhett Lashley very likely to get the SMU job, but he was – Rhett Lashley was thrown out of the Miami OC uh, for that Troy job. Dell McGee, who's the Georgia running backs coach, he's kind of a big recruiter. Uh, there was another big recruiter at Notre Dame. So you kind of have the um, uh, West Virginia's D.C., uh, Neil Brown, obviously, at West Virginia. So there's another uh, connection there, uh, the Troy connection. Um, you know, guy 
this is an assistant under their uh, former coach. So it's kind of a uh, a mix between coordinators with Troy ties and um, kind of big recruiters. Uh, mm. I kind of go with the coordinators, uh, even though the, both of the guys, the coordinators I've seen were defensive coordinators. I think you kind of want to go with an OC in that spot. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Troy does. And then um, ULL, there was um, there was a question today uh Kira Ritchie, I think, is her name. From uh, she does a Jonesboro uh, radio show, but she she was asking, "What is the best Sun Belt job?" And I said, "Well, I think it's ULL because I just think they really invest in that program. Billy Napier is making two million a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have an indoor practice facility. They've proven they can win. So that job opened up. That could be a, a really uh, attractive gig for a lot of coaches. Yeah. See who they could get there. Um, and then Texas State. I know Texas State has been really bad since they jumped up to FBS. I don't even think they met to a bowl, but they do. Like the budget's fine." They have decent enough facilities. They're in Texas. Like, they can't win. They, they just haven't made good hires. But if they can make a good hire uh, to uh, replace Spavitale, that's another program that could really see a jump on the Sunbelt West. So, yeah, those uh, those three positions we've been talking about, that's going to be big for the future of the Sunbelt. It is, yeah. And, there, and there's just there's a lot of movement in general in, this, in, the, in the West. I mean, two first-year head coaches, Terry Bowden and um, – well, I was I was thinking Marshall Marshall being the East, but first year head coach in Charles Huff, and you know be in his second year. Uh, Kane Womack is in his first and year. And Womack, yeah, yeah, and then that's count the, Hall too. I mean, that's three in the some. Yeah, if you, right if you add the yeah the two the two newcomers and yeah plus Womack, uh, yeah, that's I mean there just there's just a lot uh, there are a lot of new faces and a lot of a lot of different directions and um, I I think some good hires and you know again like you said ULL. Is an attractive play, so um, you know could could bring a a big name um, into that into that program that has a lot of momentum, and so uh, just yeah, a lot of shifting, and it'll be uh, it'll be kind of a yeah a battle of a bunch of a new head uh, new head coaches uh, again, assuming um, which we will continue to do that 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 new conference will will you know take shape in twenty twenty two instead of. 23 so that'll uh yeah that'll that'll be a big um dynamic to to look at it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out with with all of those new head coaches that are not familiar with each other in in that in that conference altogether really thought uh i, I mean i thought chip Lindsay was a great hire at troy it's i was i've been surprised to see sort of the downward trend of that program under Lindsay. Yeah, I was too. I mean, he was a guy when um, Munkin left. I thought we should have brought him in as head coach. Yeah, and, lot, yeah. You know, that didn't work for whatever yeah. reason. But yeah, I mean, I felt like that was about a slam dunk as it got. You know, a guy who's been a successful coordinator has Alabama ties, and it just didn't work out. You know, and that's kind of the thing. I mean, people are seeing more and more like the blue check saying it on Twitter. But like with these coaching searches, like you, you really don't know no. most of the time. No. Unless it's like you know, unless Nick Saban were to go like to Texas, okay, maybe that'll work. But right, that's not you know, that's not going to happen. So it's just. Yeah, it's it's tough to tell. I mean, it's just like, um, yeah. I mean, it was everybody thought Steve Sarkeesian, or not everybody, but a lot of people thought, oh, you know, this Alabama coordinator, yeah. he's going to go in. But you know, he kind of just had all the five stars in Alabama. That didn't necessarily work at, at Texas. And then you'll have another guy like everybody thought uh, Terry Bowden, like, oh, that's a joke hire. But yeah, he, he's exceeded expectations. Yeah. They're not going to go to a bowl, but uh, they're you know they won zero. They went winless last year. They won four games this year. So. Um, yeah, it's just it's tough to tell with these coaching hires. It really is. It is, yeah. And even the Mac Brown hire, oh I yeah, think the, of that, that people just thought oh, was yeah. hilarious and weird. And um, yeah, I mean, just look what he's done in, his, <laughs> in the first two uh, years. It's 
uh, pretty remarkable. Um, so speaking of the Sun Belt, go on to our final segment. Better know a conference mate. Who we got this week, Pat? Well, we are moving on to Coastal Carolina. Uh, so Coastal Carolina, they are located in Conway, South Carolina. It's more of a situation like that's just where the mailing address is. Uh, it's uh, in suburban Myrtle Beach. It, it, it is closer to Conway than Myrtle Beach. But it's about 25 minutes from Myrtle Beach, five from Conway. And Conway is more of a um, like a smaller traditional southern town. That's where the county seat is. Uh, but it's kind of separated. Myrtle Beach and Conway is separated by the, like kind of some swampland, the Waccamaw River. But it's it's more a part of like suburban Myrtle Beach than Conway. But that's like I was saying, that's what the mailing address is. Yeah. Um, so it was established in 1954 as Coastal Carolina Junior College, under the College of Charleston. It was kind of just a bunch of local citizens that wanted a um, you know some kind of post secondary institution in the area. So they held night classes in the 50s at a Conway High School. Uh, 1960. Uh, it got its own campus owned by the, um, became part of the University of South Carolina. So it was called uh, University of South Carolina, Coastal Carolina College, uh, still a junior college. And then it got four-year status in 1974. Uh, then it became its own independent of the University of South Carolina system university in 1993. And um, that, yeah, the name they have now, Coastal Carolina University. So they have uh, about 10,500 students, uh, and it's evenly split in terms of in-state, out-of-state. Basically, it's 51% in-state students, uh, and the 49% of their in-state students are from the Myrtle Beach area, Horry and uh, Georgetown counties, which makes up the uh, Myrtle Beach metropolitan area. But they also, it's kind of interesting, they get a bunch of students from like the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast in terms of -of out-of-state. Their top out-of-state markets are Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, and Virginia. So they get a bunch of like, you know, Northeast and kind of D.C. area uh, people that want to go to college in Myrtle Beach, I guess. So I found that really interesting. Those are even above, like, North Carolina, which is right by Myrtle Beach. Those states uh, yeah. send more to coastal than uh, North Carolina does. But uh, in terms of sports, football transitioned uh, into FBS. First year was in 2017. Really struggled from 2017 to 2019. But last year, you know, everybody knows that. That great season. Finished 14th uh, in the AP poll. Won the Sun Belt. Um Jamie Chadwell, the coach there, uh, really has become known as one of the more innovative coaches in college football. He's really married that uh, that triple option to the spread uh, offense. Uh, Grayson McCall uh, kind of was the perfect quarterback for this system. He went down, but he had a great yeah. year. Uh, last year, was putting up big-time numbers this year before he got hurt. 9-2 uh, and two in 2021, so they continue to have uh, huge success uh, with the football program. As they are now, you know, I guess year five uh, in FBS. Uh, basketball has been middle of the pack, uh, seven to fourteen in the four-year Ken Palm average, so solidly in the middle uh, in basketball. And then I think everybody, you know, the claim to fame obviously is that 2016 <laughs> yep. uh, national championship in baseball, um, where they, um, yeah, they just made it out of the regional, and then you know they got hot at the right time, uh, won a super at LSU, and then uh, obviously came out on top in Omaha. You know, it was one of the great, uh, you know, college baseball stories of the past 10, 20 years. But uh, since winning that championship, they've kind of been down uh, for their standards. They're three out of 14 uh, in the massive four-year average behind us in South Alabama. But even then, even since this, this four-year downstretch, they still have been to two regionals. They hosted one regional, and one of the years they missed. I mean, they are right on the bubble. They could have gotten in. So they've been to 16 regionals in 20 years. They've been to three super regionals. Uh, they have tremendous facilities. I was just mm-hmm. looking at that today. They have, you know, really some of the best facilities in the country, honestly. Uh, they really invest uh, in the coaches' salaries uh, for that baseball program. 
Uh, so, you know, even though they've been down the past couple of years, the foundation is more than there. Oh, yeah. For them to play at a very high level and, uh, you know, really help the Sun Belt in baseball. And then famous alums, uh, Dustin Johnson, two-time major champion. And then mm-hmm. I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but I, I looked up their famous alums, a guy named Michael Kelly. He's on House of Cards. He had a bunch of followers on Twitter, so I'm going <laughs> to uh, – his, his plays some character name uh, Doug. Doug. Oh, yeah. Doug something in the House of Cards. So, I yeah, I don't uh, – I don't watch a lot of TV outside of live sports, but I did see that. So hopefully uh, some of the listeners will know who that is. Michael Kelly of uh, House of Cards. So those are the uh, – that's what you need to know about Coastal Carolina. So what do you, what do you think about them? Yeah, I, th- I think they're – I mean, uh, people uh, people bring them up when, you know, talking about the just group of five programs on the rise alongside Appalachian State. And I think that's that's pretty fair. So I think a lot of this, the same things we, we talked about with App State work with Coastal Carolina, they've – you know, particularly in these last uh, two or three years with football, have, have compounded this, but they've they've built this identity of, um, you know, blue collar and uh, you know are not afraid to play anybody and almost uh, like a sorry to interrupt, but almost like an East Coast Boise. They got the teal yeah. field and <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, just a, a really ha- they have yeah they have that traditional, like I said, blue collar identity. But along with this, the sort of modern, fun uh, kind of, you know, like you know the, the sort of surfer, rednecks, you know, type, uh, uh, you know, combination in Myrtle Beach, and uh, just seems, yeah, just a, f- a fun place, kind of like Boone, uh, to go watch a football game and to go school out to go play football for, and um, I think it's another another member that you're really excited about. It's, it's also interesting too because people point to the importance of coaching hires and um, and how sustainable that is. So with with Jamie Chadwell, you know these last two years as well as he's done, it is obviously his name has has been around a lot of these these big openings to see how long he he stays around. Likely won't be um, you know a whole lot longer just with that success. And so can you continue that success? I feel like you know feel like the foundation is there again. Um, you talked about the baseball facilities. I mean. The, the investment they've made really across the board is pretty impressive with all of their facilities. And so I, I still, you know, I, I think that's a, a pretty attractive job as far as group of five jobs go, even when you do lose Chadwell. And so uh, it, it's, um, yeah, I guess, you know, still, uh, that's still a question to be answered of, of can they continue that success with somebody else is, is you know, Jamie Chadwell's, like you said, such an innovator and, and such a, has such a unique approach and has, has executed it so well with the way he's recruited and um, again that the success they built on from last year. Yeah, it, it uh, it's it's interesting to see um, how they progress as a program. You know, just you know, still very very new and uh, yeah, I guess their fifth year as a, an FBS program um, and and how they develop after Jamie Chadwell. Um, but I, I think that you know even even uh, even with that, I think that's uh, that's a program, an athletics program. You're really excited to be aligned with, and it seems to me like, you know, that's a we talked about the cross divisional rivalries and and how how often you're going to play these these uh, teams in the East is not, you know, maybe not as uh, as often as you would like, particularly App State, Coastal Carolina, Marshall, um, but it, you know, it seems to me like they have a lot of uh, a lot of the characteristics of somebody that you would grow to hate, um, you know, maybe like a, 
a Western Kentucky or something like that, a yeah. Conference USA, just somebody that would be really annoying because they're they're really good and hard to beat, and you know they've got a bunch of crazy fans, and um, you know brings a lot of our crazy fans out of the woodworks, and uh, just uh, that that's a that's a uh, a team that I think you would be really excited to play in the future, and, and hopefully uh, build a natural rivalry with. I, I think that would be pretty natural. Um, so a lot a lot to be excited about with Coastal Carolina. I think uh, the first. I think really the first two teams that people think about in the Sun Belt right now are Coastal and App State. Yeah. And uh, even though Lafayette, you know, Lafayette's having great success. Well, yes. But yeah, those are the two that I guess have made the most noise nationally at this point. Just, yeah, just the, for, the forefront superficially. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nationally, in these, especially these last two years. Um, it's, yeah, I, I think that is, I think that's warranted. They've, they've helped the Sun Belt brand a lot, I think, um, with, the way that they've built the identity and along with the football success. And uh, so, yeah, I think you got to be really excited. Did not know. I haven't thought about House of Cards in a long, <laughs> a long, long time. Michael Kelly, it's an interesting, famous alum. And obviously Dustin Johnson's a big one. So, Yeah, he was their uh, – Dustin Johnson was the game day picker last year. That's right. Uh, I guess they had kind of like a zombie game day with COVID last year. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, are we ready to move on to uh, last week in CUSA? Yeah, or? now you know. Now you know about Coastal Carolina. We're three in, I guess. Yeah, next up, uh, Georgia Southern, I think. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a string of, uh, just the way the alphabet works, string of we're going to get most of the East done. We'll yeah. go to Georgia State, then we'll go to Georgia Southern, and I think we'll go to James Madison after that. Yeah. Or, sorry, Georgia Southern, then Georgia State, then James yes. Madison. Yep. So, uh, but, yeah, I guess we'll end with the West, which of the teams I guess we'll be playing the most. Um, so, just kind of the way the alphabet works. But, um. Uh, so, yeah, week 13 in CUSA, so uh, UTEP and UAB. UAB lost uh, that heartbreaker uh, where UTSA threw the touchdown probably with like a second left to uh, clinch the Western Division. That was a wild, wild game. I wasn't able to watch it. I, I, was I actually listened to it. I was on oh, the road, wow, but, but yeah. Sometimes you get it's more fun to listen to it, honestly, than watch it. Just Oh, yeah. Feel like you, you get the the hometown announcers makes it you know kind of a more emotional experience. Yeah, sometimes. I was listening to the the UAB broadcast crew oh. and that uh they had the fourth and fourth and couple of inches. Oh, they punted with just over a minute left. Yeah, it was. I think it was right around midfield, and and Bill Clark punted. And a lot of people point point to that as where they lost the game. But uh, yeah, anyways. Yeah, and then we, we talked about our game. Then you have La Tech at Rice. Uh, not a whole lot of sticks, and that both teams aren't going to a bowl. Uh, UTSA and North Texas, that'll be a big game. Uh, UTSA trying to finish off a perfect regular season. North Texas really finishing the year strong, trying to get to a bowl. So big time stakes uh, for both teams, even though UTSA has already clinched uh, that West Division. Yeah, they'll, they'll host the championship yeah, so they, either way, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah um, they've actually there's some San Antonio uh, big businesses have actually bought a bunch of tickets. Oh, for I saw that. UTSA yeah. students, so uh, good that they'll be able to go to the game for free. But um, Charlotte and Old Dominion, that's another. Uh, Kind of a big game for bowl eligibility. Both teams coming in five of six. Old Dominion, really impressive uh, turnaround by Ricky yeah. Ronnie there. Everybody kind of thought they were going to win only one or two games uh, just because they didn't play last year. But that's a program that hopefully is on the rise and you know can contribute in the Sun Belt going forward. But, yeah, winner of that, uh, go to a bowl probably. I don't know how the spots will work out in terms of bowl-eligible teams for bowls. But um, then you got Western Kentucky and Marshall. That is for the Sun Belt. Or, sorry, that is for the Conference USA East. Yeah. Uh, yes, because Western Kentucky comes in six and one, Marshall five and two. So that should be a really good game. 
uh, at 2.30. That'll be on CBS Sports. So yeah, like, pulling for the herd big time in that one. Yeah, that, that'd be good for um, another Sun Belt uh, rallying or rallying point or whatever whatever you call it, uh, bragging rights. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but Western Kentucky, obviously, they've been playing uh, really good football. Yep. Um, then MTSU at FAU, that's another 5-6 and six versus 5-6. and six. winner of that probably goes to a bowl. That's in uh, Boca. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the uh, the final week at CSA. Some intriguing games with uh, some stakes. Uh, yeah, so. coming right down the wire, a few of those. Um, and then, so do we want to talk about the uh, yeah, bri- the- yeah, briefly. Uh, we'll we'll just touch on this. Um, sent out to, I think it was Eagle Club members yeah. only. This uh, was it this afternoon. I guess today, yeah, it, it was it was, today, it was it was physical mail. It was not an email, right? Know. Yeah, but people started posting right. about it today. Of uh, big event in March, March twenty sixth, twenty twenty two. Yeah, March, yeah, of next year of a big event at the Rock. Uh, what was the tagline that was on the? Uh, I have to pull up. Uh, somebody fun. posted it on uh, Eagle Post. So, making history, changing the game. Yes. An event you will not want to miss, and so, uh, yeah, just um, I don't know. We we, I mean, we're you know, this is not groundbreaking analysis. We think it's an announcement for a, a big capital campaign that has been going on, um, which has been talked about. Somebody leaked an email or something mm-hmm. uh, at some point this off season of an email between Brian Morrison and and maybe maybe Jeremy McLean of. Them talking, I don't even know if that that was never um, confirmed or anything. I don't know, um, but yeah, there there have just been these rumblings of of uh, the athletic department and uh, a big capital campaign for facilities and, and other things um, being in the works for several different years um, or across several years, and uh, and so yeah, that's I don't know, that's what we think that is, and it could be I don't know, great timing. I feel like especially you know with the Sun Belt move and. Mm-hmm. You know, in the middle of baseball and hopefully some momentum in football. We'll see how basketball works out. You'll be on the tail end of the basketball season. And hopefully, you know, baseball's been playing well in the first month. And so, uh, yeah, interesting that they would announce something like that four months out. But Yeah, it's, it's one of those things people have always wanted a plan. They're like, all right, well, we want a long-term facilities plan. And yep. McLean has said, like, oh, it's on the works so, or in the works. So this could be it where you kind of see um, – you know, kind of a long-range uh, type thing they want to do with the athletic facilities. We've talked about the Reed Green project is in the works. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of one of those things, uh, you know, part of the fresh start of the Sun Belt where you're yeah. announcing a new, you know, who knows what, capital campaign, facility campaign, yeah. you're joining a new conference. Uh, you have a pretty new, you know, first-year coaching staff will be second year by that point, I guess, or they haven't seen, you know, won't have started the second year, but are, are still a new coaching staff of football. Yeah. So just kind of a new uh, – New start, fresh start. Uh, that's kind of part of it. This uh, what we think is uh, some kind of finish off a, a fundraising campaign for athletics. Yeah, so. just just uh, yeah. It seems like kind of across the board. There's there's more life in the athletics program than there has been in a long time. So it, yeah, it would it would make a lot of sense to announce something like that again. We we have no idea. Um, that that's just an educated guess. Just the way that that was sent out and, and the messaging and, and stuff like that. Yeah, there, were, pretty much golly, there was something I was going to say about about that recruiting thing, but I can't remember what it was. So if it is, I'll, I'll tweet it out or something. Okay. Yeah, if, if I can't remember what it was, it probably wasn't that important. So. 
All right. Well, that will about wrap it up. If you don't follow us on Twitter, at BuzzardryPod on Twitter, give us a follow. Uh, you can also follow me and Patrick, our personal uh, profiles. I'll put those in the show notes as well. And uh, as always, leave us a review. Just take a few seconds and tap however many stars you think we deserve. It does matter. Uh, We greatly appreciate you listening and being with us. We'll be back next week. We'll do a midweek episode. Um, Yeah, we got to set a schedule for how we're going to do basketball and then baseball. I I don't know if we'll do the regular days. Yeah, yeah we'll, we will. Uh, we'll put our heads together, figure yeah. that out, and let you know. We actually, I don't know. We might, maybe, we'll do a Sunday episode next week. Uh, we'll we'll see how that works out. But uh, big one Saturday, uh, big, big, big three games for basketball. So we will we'll break that down next week and talk about another Sun Belt Conference mate, among other things. So we greatly appreciate you being with us as always. That is Patrick McGee. My name is Ben Milam. This has been another episode of Buzzardry. Thanks for being with us. Hope to see you next time. This has been Buzzardry. Thanks for listening. And be sure to share and leave a review. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Buzzardry Pod for all you need to know about the show. See you next time.